Jonah chapter 2. There's ten points in my lesson tonight. There's ten verses in Jonah chapter 2, so there's going to be one point per verse. So Uh, Let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll get started. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for what you've provided for us. Thank you for your word, that we can open it, we can learn from it, and that it's practical to our lives today. I just pray, God, that you would uh, use your word as it goes out tonight in all the different classes, uh, that it would be powerful and that it would uh, effect a change in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Jonah chapter 2 is the prayer that Jonah prays uh, when he's in the belly of the whale. Jonah is not necessarily a sympathetic character in the Bible. Uh, I like to preach and teach about David and Goliath or Daniel in the lion's den, or the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace. All of those kind of are heroic. Uh, They've been put in situations that they didn't really ask for, and uh, they're going to depend on God, and God's going to come through for them. But we see here Jonah. Jonah's also in a situation, but he's in a situation of his own making, his own doing. And I feel like that Jonah chapter 2 relates more to my life many times than David, Daniel, or the three Hebrew children. A lot of times we find ourselves, I find myself in a situation where I need God not to be a hero, but because I need him because of things that I've done, and now I need his help. And that's what we're going to look at here in Jonah chapter 2. Jonah... He's going to give us some wisdom through his prayer on how we should handle these types of situations that come into our life. These aren't situations we like to talk about. These aren't situations that we brag about to other people necessarily, but they're common to all of us. Where we go to God and we say, God, I don't know how I got myself into this situation, but I need your help. And that's what Jonah is going to teach us today in his prayer. Jonah is an interesting character. You know, you want to say even after this prayer, okay, well, Jonah changed his behavior and became a better person. But in reality, Jonah did change his behavior, but did he become a better person? That's up for debate because he still struggled with God the rest of the book and still really didn't seem to want to do everything God wanted him to do. And I find that's with me as well. Um, even at the times where I turn towards God and he comes through, you would think, okay, that should set me for the rest of my life. I made a mistake, God came in, he helped me, and now I can never make that mistake again. And yet we find ourselves doing the same thing and the same problem over and over and over again. I find it very interesting that God never demeans Jonah in this book. It seems like God's patience is on full display throughout these four chapters of Jonah. He gives him a gourd. He tries to teach him through observation. He gives him a second chance. He provides a whale to save his life. All of these things, even though Jonah is exhibiting rebellion, God works with him and works with him and works with him and works with him. And even at the very end, as God is admonishing him one more time, it's almost like it's a plea. It's almost like it's a plea, not a, not a harsh reprimand. Jonah had a lot of unusual behavior, and we don't have time to get into it tonight. 
because I want to get into his prayer. But throughout the book, there's a lot of unusual behavior. If you look at his, just his behavior that God lets us see in this book. You know, he's sleeping in a, in a boat when everyone else is fearing for their life. Um, when the storm is coming, he says, just throw me over. Almost like whatever happens, happens. I don't care about my own life. Um, when he finally did get delivered, he, the Bible says, and it doesn't say exactly like this, but he basically ran like a maniac to Nineveh. And for how many days, he's like a wild man. Um, and then his emotional roller coaster throughout Jonah, though, he's elated, and then he goes into this deep depression because a gourd died, but yet you know, he can't wait for the city to be destroyed. It's a very odd, he exhibits some very odd behavior. But I find that just like us, we also many times... It, exhibit behavior that even we find difficult to explain. I don't know why I did that. I don't know why I feel this way. I don't know why I do this. And so Jonah here is going to show us in chapter 2 how he handles it. Jonah chapter 2. So let's start in verse 1. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. I wrote down point number 1 from verse number 1. Prayer is always a good option. It doesn't matter where we find ourselves in life. It doesn't matter what the consequences are of what we have done. Prayer is always a good option. Reminds me of the thief on the cross next to Jesus. Turning to Jesus is always a good option. It's always the best thing to do. It's always available. It's never a bad idea. Don't believe the lie of Satan that God wants nothing to do with a sinner. He wants everything to do with us. And even in our sin, even as we're suffering the consequences of our sin. One of God's favorite prayers is found in Luke chapter 18 and verse 13. How do we know? Because Jesus himself said it was. When the publican said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Jesus said that man went away righteous. Not the one who paraded around in all of his uh, religiosity. And so we see here verse number one, point number one. Prayer is always a good option. Next, verse two. And said, so here his prayer begins. I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell cried I, and thou heardest my voice. Point two. God hears us even when we create our own affliction. And I feel like that's key, because so many times people say to themselves, God doesn't want to hear from me. I'm my own worst enemy. I'm the one who got myself into this position. I'm the one who did the sin. Why would God want to hear from me? And yet we see in the very first sentence of Jonah's prayer, he says, I cried by reason of mine affliction, the affliction he brought onto himself because of his own rebellion. And the Lord heard me. God has never left his child alone, regardless of the predicaments that we can create with our rebellion and sin. God hears our voice, regardless of whether we feel unworthy, guilty, shameful, or dirty. God still hears our voice, and he wants us to come to him in prayer. Verse 3. For thou hadst cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas... And the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. 
I love those personal pronouns that Jonah uses in his prayer here. Point three, things that are a consequence of our own behavior are still part of God's domain and his plan. So many times we think, I'm just suffering the natural consequences of my own doings. But you know, God's, all those consequences that we think we brought on ourselves, God is still using those very consequences to bring about his will in our life. Those personal pronouns that Jonah uses there, he says, all thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Jonah is in the belly of the whale because he rebelled against God, and yet even in his rebellion, God was using the whale, the waves, the seas, the depths, everything that was a natural consequence of his own rebellion, God was still 100% in control and still moving in his life to bring him to a point where he would be usable again for God's service. God used the circumstances Jonah had created. God is never without a plan for our life. Never. Regardless of how far we veer off the path. There is no one sitting in jail tonight that God has said, that's it, I don't have any more plans for your life, you've gone too far off. There is nobody sitting homeless in downtown Portland that God has said, sorry, I'm out of plans. I went through plan A, B, C, and D, that was it. I'm done with you. He is still using the very circumstances in those people's life to move and to bring about his will. God has the ability to use everything for good. That's what Romans tells us. This is why the victim... By the way, this, I wrote this down. This is why the victim mentality is so detrimental. Because it requires revenge over reliance on God. See, when we feel like we're a victim, and I'll get to this in one of the later points, but when we feel like well, yeah, I did wrong, but it's not really my fault. It's that person's fault over there. Or I wouldn't have done it if that person hadn't told me to, or that person hadn't coerced me. Until we get to the point in our life where we're willing to stop being a victim, then we're always seeking revenge on those people that we think victimized us. And Jonah said, you know what? I'm done with that. I'm done being a victim. God, I'm coming back to you. All these consequences I'm facing, yes, it's because of what all the mistakes I've made. But I know you still have a plan. Number four, verse four. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The, word there, the words there, then I said, are very key. Because he was not out of God's sight, but he told himself he was. So I wrote down number four, don't trust your feelings. Keep looking toward God. When you've made a mistake and we're suffering the consequences of that mistake, we're suffering the guilt and the shame, don't trust your feelings. You still keep looking towards God. Jonah says here in verse four, then I said, he said to himself, I'm cast out of God's sight. That's our natural inclination. We're, we want to believe, I've, I've ruined it, there's nothing else. I don't have any, God doesn't have any use for me. He said, even though I said that to myself, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. I'm not going to rely on my feelings. I'm just going to make a decision to continue to look towards God, whether I feel like I should or whether I feel like doing it or not. That's why it's so important when we do find ourselves maybe away from God in rebellion or we've made bad mistakes or we've made any kind of mistake, 
that we don't then alienate ourselves from God's work, where church, the Bible, prayer, good fellowship, uh, spending time with God. But I don't feel like praying. I'm guilty. That's okay. Don't, don't work off your feelings. Work off of the principle of God's love. Number five, the waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. The soul pain is real. Jonah says here in verse 5, The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. And that's something for it's difficult for us to explain, but we've all been there if we're over 12 years old. The soul pain of knowing it's my fault. I did this. I'm guilty. I'm in the wrong. I don't have anyone to blame. I'm the one suffering the consequences of my own decisions. So what do I do? The soul pain is real and it affects our mental health. Notice what he says there in verse 5. The, one, the waters compassed me about even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. We feel like the whole world is closing in on us. No one can understand. No one would want to understand. There's no one that's compassionate for me out there. If everyone knew, they would just say, yeah, just another worthless sinner. The weeds were wrapped about my head. It starts playing mind games with us. We start thinking that we're just useless, worthless, and God doesn't really have a plan for us. It's what Adam and Eve felt in the garden after they sinned. It's why they were hiding from God. God's plan was not done with them, but they felt like it was. The pain goes right down to our soul. It affects the deepest part of our being. We feel closed in with nowhere to go and no escape. It affects our thinking and we, and we spiral into negative thoughts. And we have to be careful. This is what Jonah is experiencing here. By the way, this isn't something you get to just ignore. It closes in on you. Like, I can't ignore this. Number six, verse six. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Jonah here is talking about this will never end. The feeling like there is no daylight. I'm in the belly of a whale, literally. There is no escape out of here. People do not survive in a belly of a whale for a long term. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. Now I find it very interesting. He hadn't yet. (laughs) He hadn't yet. He was still in the belly of a whale. And yet in his prayer you could see that hope. He knew God's power. I wrote down number six. There is no depth beyond God's ability to resurrect. There is no depth beyond God's ability to resurrect. When we look at somebody and we think, I don't know, is is there hope for them? Yes. There is no depth beyond God's ability to resurrect. And although although Jonah had not experienced yet the freedom that was about to come. He knew that God had the power to do it. And he said it in his prayer. Thou hast brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. 
Sometimes it can feel like our circumstances will last forever. Notice he says there, the earth with her bars was about me forever. There's, it's never going to end. My life will never take another turn. There's never, never going to be able to be as fruitful as I used to be. I'm never going to be able to be as used by God. People aren't going to respect me, or I've ruined it, or I've blown my chance. Or, I, or sometimes it's just I didn't take the opportunity. I probably should have. And, you know, I've just kind of ruined uh, whatever probably God had for me. And we have to remember that God can, there is no depth that God can't resurrect from. Verse 7, when my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. I wrote down for number 7, allow shame and guilt to drive us to God's holiness not away from it. If we're not careful, we can look at our own shame and guilt and say, I'm just going to run away from God. Now, I'm never going to go back to church. I'm never going to open the Bible again. I've already made too many mistakes. I'll just keep running and running and running and running and running and running and running. And and Jonah said, I'm going to look, in verse 7, I'm going to look to the holiness of your temple. I'm not going to let my shame and guilt keep me from admiring the holiness of God. Shame is not something that God projects onto us. It is what sin does within us. It is part of sin's natural uh, ramification. It's not, shame is not something that God brings to us. It's something that, sh- that uh, sin brings within us. Focus on God's holiness. When we find ourselves in a place where we've made a mistake, focus on God's holiness because it will never disappoint. God's holiness, you will never find a flaw in it. You will never look so close that you say, "Ah, I shouldn't have looked in that corner. You will never look at God and think, he kind of disappointed me again today. Never. So when we disappoint ourselves, then we look to God's holiness and we find hope in his holiness not discouragement in our own shame and guilt. Verse 8. Now this one, okay, this verse is kind of like a riddle. So, verse 8. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. What was Jonah saying with this? They that, fors- they that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercies. Verse 8. I wrote down, Embracing the lie of why delays God's mercy. Embracing the lie of why. In other words, why, Jonah, are you in the belly of the whale? Because God asked me to do something unreasonable? Because I just found myself in the wrong place at the wrong time? Uh, Because of who my parents were? Uh, Because I didn't go to a very good school? Uh, Because one of my friends told me that Tarshish was a better place than Nineveh? See, every excuse that we make until we come to the point where we are willing to stop observing lies about why we're in the predicament we're in, just delays the healing that God's mercy is going to bring. So let me read verse 8 again. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. God's mercy is not changing. It's still there, waiting, 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 until you're willing to accept Not the lie, but to say, I made a mistake. I did wrong. 
I shouldn't have done that. I should repent of what I've done. I'm in the belly of this whale because of a, of a choice I made. Not because of someone else's choice. Not because of circumstances beyond my control. Not because God was unfair. I'm willing to embrace the truth. And just like that, God's mercy moves in and starts the restoration process. But until then, we just keep pushing it off, pushing it off, pushing it off, pushing it off. Lying vanities include blaming God, blaming others, blaming circumstances. God doesn't withhold mercy. We forsake it when we refuse to embrace the truth. The longer we refuse to accept the truth of how and why, the longer we wait for God's mercy to activate and to to uh, come into our life and allow us to take the next step. Verse 9.9 But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Jonah gives us here in verse 9, this is actually the last verse of his prayer, he gives us in verse 9 a three-point outline of what to do. So what do I do? Once, okay, I've admitted, I've made a mistake, I know that what I'm experiencing is my own fault. Um, I'm the one that was in rebellion. I had the pride. I committed the sin. I did the wrong. What do I do now? Verse uh, verse 9, thank God, do right, accept his salvation. Let me read verse 9 again. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. Thanks, God. I will pay that that I avowed, do right, Salvation is of the Lord, except God's salvation. See, when we start the process of restoration, we start by thanking God for who He is, what He is, His holiness, His mercy, His grace. We embrace Him and we say, God, it doesn't matter what the consequences of my mistakes are, because You are pure. You are holy. You will do what's right. I can depend on you. I can trust you. I know that you will lead me out of this. It might not be painless, but I know that your mercy endureth forever. And then he says, I will pay my vows. Okay, I'm just going to do what I'm supposed to do now. I can't go back in time. I can't unwind the things I've done in the past. But I can today do what I'm supposed to do. And then he said... Salvation is of the Lord. I'm going to stop trying to manipulate circumstances to get what I want. That's what Jonah was doing. Okay, He had bought a trip to Tarshish because he didn't want to do this, and so he's going to try to manipulate circumstances to do this. And so he was used to manipulation, and he said, I'm going to stop that. I'm just going to thank God for whatever he brings into my life. I'm going to start doing what I know to do today, and then I'm just going to let the results depend on whatever God's mercy is. Reminds me of when David uh, counted the people. And the prophet said to him, you get three choices. And he gave him these three terrible choices. And David said, I'm not picking a choice. I'm just going to fall on whatever God's mercy, whatever God chooses, I will, I will do. And that's kind of what Jonah said here. I'm just, you know what, if God wants to spare my life, he will. If he doesn't, he won't. If he gives me a second chance, he will. If he doesn't, he won't. I trust God. I trust his wisdom. I trust his mercy. I, t- I trust his grace. And then lastly, um, well, let me read this first. A turning point is when we are willing and able to thank God, even in the midst of our pain. See, we know we're getting close to the turning point when we're willing to thank God, even though we're experiencing maybe the consequences of our own sin. 
We can't change our past actions, only the present and future ones. And that's what he was saying there about uh, keeping his vows. And then accepting that salvation is in God's hands and not our own is the third major step that he lists there in verse 9. And it's a third major step in finding peace. By the way, that's the key word there. Finding peace even while experiencing deep sorrow and regret. We can have peace even though we're experiencing the consequences of things that maybe we've done. But peace only comes once we do these three steps in verse 9. And then lastly, verse 10. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Verse 10. God can cut through all our folly with just a word. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and everything was better. See, we sometimes think our consequences, so, our circumstances are so complex that God could never... When we say God could never use us again, we're limiting God. See, there's nothing... God, one word, one word, and, God, and Jonah's circumstances were totally different. And I wrote this down because I find this funny here. I don't know why. I don't know why Jesus chose to use Jonah as an example in Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. It's not the, he's not the one I would have said. Hey, remember that guy who rebelled, who committed sin, found himself in horrible consequences in the belly of a whale? Well, just like he was in those, the belly of the whale for three days, I'm going to be dead for three days and then resurrect. Like, I would have found someone else to use as an example. But I feel like it's just God's nature, how he takes the things that we mess up, and when we give them over to him, he's able to turn it into an example to help other people. It's never a license for us to mess up, because Jonah's life would have been a lot smoother, probably gone a lot better, and he could have avoided a lot of sorrow if he had just obeyed God the first time. But disobeying God, getting ourselves into a predicament, God says, okay, Okay, do what Jonah did. I can work this out. And I wrote this down. Our vomit, the way we can turn our life into a vomit, (laughs) is Christ's victory. Our vomit that we create in our own life, Jesus turns it around into an example of his victorious salvation for the whole world. That's the power that God has. Sometimes I feel like we think we elevate our mistakes beyond God's power. And, that's not a, and again, it's not a license to commit mistakes because so many times we're to commit sin or to be rebellious or to be proud. But all of those things, God still is in control. He's still sitting on the throne. He still can take a vomit of a life like Jonah's and move it into a victorious example of his own salvation. So those are words of wisdom from chapter 2, Jonah's prayer. Uh, The next lesson will begin in maybe 10 minutes, I think, is when the next one will start. Okay, thank you. You're dismissed.